0: Hey, true crime fans, this is Ashley and Ricky from Crime Salad, a true crime podcast delivering a healthy portion of crime every Friday. If you have an interest in true crime or you're looking for your next podcast to binge, tune in each week as we take you through a 20-minute murder mystery story and reveal jaw-dropping details of what investigators find along the way. Be a Crime Salad investigator with us by listening to Crime Salad at work or on your daily commute. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts by searching Crime Salad. Hope to see you there. to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison and I'm going in solo for a while. Uh, I was going to try this instead of bringing in all different co-hosts. If it is absolutely torturous to listen to just me for a half an hour, please give me some feedback. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, NefariousNY at Yahoo is the email and just let me know what you think. If you have a Chris or Kim preference, me by myself preference, Meredith preference, just let me know. That would be awesome. I would really, really appreciate it. So I'm just going to get into the case because I don't have much going on. This one took place in 2013. So at 3.30 in the morning on November 14th, 2013, Kenneth Dearden awoke with a searing pain in his jaw. His pillow was soaked in blood. He looked around and he realized that his wife, Emily, was not in bed with him in the master bedroom, which is weird at 3.30 in the morning. So Kenneth got out of bed, still unsure of what had caused the pain, and kind of staggered around and made his way down to the first floor where he found his wife, Emily, lying on the family room floor. Her eyes were closed and she appeared to be unconscious. So he's worried and he, you know, tries to shake her and she quickly wakes up. She said that an intruder had hit her in the head as as he was trying to escape the house. So the couple's two daughters had been sleeping only a few feet away from the master bedroom. Emily calls 911 and Kenneth is taken to the hospital. There, the doctors determined that the searing pain Kenneth had felt was a gunshot wound. The bullet had entered his head near the base of his skull and had lodged in his left cheek after passing through one of his carotid arteries, which that's totally nuts because I thought if you got, you know, an artery severed, you were a goner, but I guess there's two carotid arteries and they supply blood to your brain, neck and face. So they're pretty important. The bullet was from a 22 caliber revolver. Kenneth is now going to spend the next eight days in the hospital and he's going to have three operations. So while he's taken off to the hospital, Emily, on the other hand, does not seek any medical attention at all. She also doesn't go to the hospital with Kenneth, which might be because she has two kids at home. I know if my husband had to get taken to the hospital in the middle of the night, I would have to trust that they were going to take care of him because I would have to stay home with my kids until someone could come over and watch them so just a little background kenneth dearden was 46 years old in 2013 and he was originally from shrewsbury massachusetts and he had served in the air force he had a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from cornell university and a master's from rotterdam school of management in the netherlands that's kind of cool he had founded his company dw capital associates and was a prominent real estate developer. He was also president of the Yonkers Downtown Waterfront Business Improvement District. So this is all in Yonkers, which is like five ten minutes from me here. And it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest city in Westchester. So just for comparisons, it's not like a small, sleepy little suburban town. It's a pretty big city. Now, Emily was born on May fifteenth, 1968, and she's originally from Englewood, New Jersey. She had a bachelor's degree in psychology from Northwestern University and a master's degree from Columbia University and Widener University. She held the position of senior psychologist for the New York City Police Department. She was responsible for counseling troubled officers out of the department's medical division offices in Queens. So Kenneth and Emily were married In July of 1996, in 2013, at the time of the shooting, they lived in the house they had purchased in 2000 in Yonkers, New York. And the couple's two daughters live with them, and the house was at 82 Pondfield Road West in Yonkers. So now we're back to the morning of the shooting. Later on that morning, when detectives now show up at the Dearden house to investigate what the heck happened, they're surprised to find Emily washing her pajamas instead of being at the hospital with her husband. She was pretty unemotional over the fact that an intruder had struck her in the head and shot her husband while her two kids were in the house as well. She was more concerned with whether or not the officers had a warrant to search the dwelling. I mean, she obviously doesn't know, but because it was a crime scene, they don't need a warrant. Emily was pretty upfront with a big fact that a lot of people lie about that, um, she was having an affair and she said that her husband had also been having an affair with a woman in Pennsylvania. So Emily's story is that an intruder had come in, shot her husband. And then as the intruder was leaving and she maybe went after him, he knocked her unconscious, but the police found no evidence of a break-in. Um, Emily also told the police that there were no weapons in the house but when they're searching in the basement of the house, they found four pistols, including two derringers, which are 22 caliber. The guns belonged to Emily. She said that they had been given to her by her father, and that was true. Her father gave her. So they were a little bit more like, um, maybe more antique guns. But so later they did forensic ballistics testing to see if one of those guns shot the bullet that shot kenneth and it was inconclusive so you can't link those guns to him or the shooting it's just coincidental that it's the same caliber I, I mean i don't know anything about guns but i feel like 22 caliber is not like it's not like rare so i don't think it's that strange i mean she should have just said she had the guns though but who knows detectives are getting a weird feeling that this intruder home invasion theory is a little bit of bullshit. First, there were no signs of forced entry, which I mentioned already. Second, and this one's kind of a big one for me, the family Rottweiler who slept in a dog bed outside the master bedroom didn't do anything, was just sleeping soundly. Now, I have three dogs, and they don't sleep right outside my bedroom. They sleep downstairs. But I can guarantee you that if someone comes into my house that isn't supposed to be here, they aren't walking out of my house, um, especially after hurting me or shooting me there the dogs are well maybe not the new one because she's six pounds but she might be the feistiest they're going to attack they're not going to just let someone just come in my house also another problem with the home intruder theory is that the house alarm had not been set off because it had actually been deactivated like a few minutes before the shooting And finally, nothing had been taken. So basically, this is the story that we're supposed to believe. Somehow the alarm was shut off. Minutes later, someone walks into the house through some sort of open door or window because there's no forced entry, went to the master bedroom, passed a sleeping beast, shot Kenneth. Then when Emily woke up and she went after the intruder, he knocked her out and took nothing out of the house. Just doesn't doesn't make sense. Rightfully, Emily is looking a little bit suspicious now. So not only is the story stupid, but she doesn't help herself because after the shooting, she calls her Texas lover, David Warren Rodenbush. So she calls him after the shooting before calling Kenneth's family to tell them what happened. And on the day of the shooting, she met with David at a restaurant in Yonkers rather than going to... The hospital so why would you meet with your lover for coffee instead of visiting your husband in the hospital i mean especially if you did it you need to play the part i don't know it could go either way like is she so stupid that she thinks she's not being watched and so overconfident that she thinks no one is paying attention to her movements or did she really have nothing to do with it and just wanted to go meet with david i don't know she Also, waited until the next day, until finally visiting Kenneth in the hospital. So it's not even like she went out and met her boyfriend, David, for some coffee and then, you know, popped over to the hospital right after that. She, you know, went home, slept, blah, blah, got up the next day and went to the hospital. Seems a little, a little cold. So the invest, speaking of cold, the investigation started to go cold because, well, there just wasn't any evidence The police couldn't identify an intruder, and Emily is basically the primary suspect, but no charges were ever brought against her because there's really no evidence. I guess you can't just charge someone because their story's stupid, and they're doing stupid things. In August of 2014, so this is about nine months after the shooting, Emily does file for divorce. And at this time, NYPD officials relieved her as the department's senior psychologist. So they reassigned her to administrative duties. So I think that the heat's starting to come down on her a little bit. I just find it interesting that she filed for divorce. So if you're trying to eliminate your spouse by killing them and that doesn't work, I would think you try to kill them again. I don't think you then just file for divorce. So she files for divorce in August. And then it seems like sort of in response to the divorce filing, Kenneth, on November 14th, 2014, so about three months after the divorce filing and about a year after the shooting, in a Westchester County court, Kenneth files a civil suit against Emily. He said that the shooting had been, quote, a sadistic attack by an adulterous wife on her husband. Kenneth also alleged that Emily shot him and attempted to kill him, so that she could keep the marital home, avoid a contentious divorce, and never have to admit her infidelities to her family and friends. I think those are huge motivations. I mean, not that I would kill someone to avoid those things, but people put so much pressure on themselves to succeed and be perfect and not fail at things. So to see this failure looming, it's embarrassing. There's a lot of shame from a divorce, which I don't think there should be, but there is a lot of shame and, you know, infidelity, not good. So I can see how someone would try to avoid that. Um, maybe not by trying to kill your spouse, but in the lawsuit, Kenneth claimed that when he awoke from the shot, he thought he saw his wife in the room with him. I, I don't know. I have, I have a little problem with this. I have no idea why he would wait until a year later to bring this information out. I mean, if he thinks his wife shot him, why wouldn't you just say it right away? So Kenneth said that David Warren Rodenbush, the man Emily was having that affair with for over two years, had left his wife. And then he had started pressuring Emily to leave Kenneth. So as a result, I guess Emily not wanting to face a divorce, thought she would kill him. As a result of the shooting... Kenneth claimed that he suffered mental anguish and fear of being attacked again. Well, yeah, and that fear should be even greater since you're sleeping in the same house and in the same bed, supposedly, with the person that you think shot you. I'm not sure why he would do that. I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. If you think she was in the room and you're thinking she shot you, I'm thinking you should be getting a hotel room. Anyway, on November 21st, 2014, the district attorney of Westchester County announced that Emily Dearden had been charged with attempted second degree murder. So later that day, she turned herself in to the authorities. At her arraignment here, I wonder if any of this would have happened if she didn't file for divorce. Like, would he have ever brought this information out? I don't know. Um, Something to ponder since I don't have a co-host here to chat with. I'm just thinking this through with myself and me. Anyway, later that day, she turns herself in to the authorities. At her arraignment hearing, the judge set her bail at $150,000, which isn't too high, I don't think. But so she immediately posts it because she doesn't want to go to jail. But the judge does order Emily to stay away from Kenneth and their two daughters, So after this arraignment and she's post bail, she moves into Manhattan and following the filing of this criminal charge, Emily had to hand in her NYPD identification card over to an internal affairs bureau official. So she's, she's out of a job now. So after the May, 2015 indictment for attempted murder, assault, and criminal possession of a weapon, Emily pled not guilty. So her argument and her attorneys, so her attorneys telling reporters that Dr. Dearden is confident she will prevail in this case. Emily's basically claiming, which, you know, it's kind of set up nicely for her to claim this. So Kenneth was just retaliating against her for her filing the divorce. And he was kind of making all of this up because the problem with me is that if You got shot in the face and you remember your wife being in the room. Then you go to the hospital, you have your surgeries, you come home after eight days and you stay with your wife, who you think shot you, until she files for divorce, then you sue her. It just doesn't make sense. I I don't know. If convicted as charged, she could face up to 25 years in prison. Yeah, I don't know what really happens. I I can see both sides here, and I know I kind of am rambling a little bit because there's nobody here to talk to me. First, it's dumb, but people do try to kill their spouses rather than divorce them. Financial reasons, shame, easy, child custody, whatever. It's a stupid thing to to try to do, but, you know, that is possible. But if that's what happened and the spouse survives... And knows that their spouse is the one that tried to kill them maybe they tell the police right away and file for divorce but then we're gonna go and if the spouse didn't try to kill them and it there was a home invasion nine months later the wife files for divorce and you're pissed and blindsided do you really make up that your spouse is the one that tried to kill you that seems a little far-fetched I don't know I'm confusing myself so in February of 2017, Emily pled guilty to attempted first-degree assault. So when Emily was sentenced, she was basically emotionless, and she was wearing a brown sweater and purple glasses. I wear purple glasses. That makes me nervous. And Emily didn't say anything at her sentencing. He, when the judge asked her if she wanted to say anything, she declined and said, no, thank you, sir. The judge sentenced her to three and a half years in prison, and two and a half years of probation. So Kenneth said at Emily's sentencing, quote, I suspect none of us will ever understand why you shot me. Privately, you remain defiant. I'm not your only victim. I try to remember I'm lucky to be alive. I feel like justice was served, um, but my kids still suffer. The judge said your actions were horrific. It was repugnant. You cemented for all time your legacy, a legacy, sadly, that you've left to your children, your two daughters, a legacy that their mother shot their father in the head while he slept. You will be known and forever remembered by your former colleagues, by your community, and most importantly, by your children for that horrible and unforgivable crime. Emily will be eligible for parole on June 4th, 2020 and her maximum release date is December 6th, 2020. So this was a little weird for me to do without Meredith or without anyone. I have to say, I'm not a fan. Please let me know if this is like not enjoyable for you. So we're nearing Christmas. I'm would like my co-host Meredith back for Christmas, but If I have to do this alone, I will, but I would love for some feedback to let me know if it's like not interesting with me just by myself. If you want me to bring in Chris or Kim again to help out, I'm going to do my best. I just wanted to stay on schedule because I'm not sure when Meredith will be able to come back. So there's um, not much else to say. I will see you next week. I'm definitely not singing out.